How do you find flow when you're in a place that's challenging and where you seem to have obstacles all around you? You will hear the answer is somewhat counterintuitive. So don't go away because we will be talking to an extreme sports athlete who does this for a living, actually. Welcome to the Athlete Story Podcast. Your chance to tap into wisdom from athletes and experts in world-class sports. You are about to be taken into a chat about sports careers and related issues between an awesome guest and your listening host. The Sports Insider, repurposed Olympic mogul skier, and former freeride world tour athlete, Anya Balbia. This is priceless insight about performance, personal challenges, strategy, finances, and of course, the tricky transition into life after sports. Listen in and enjoy these inspirational stories that are just too athlete-centered for mainstream media. In this athlete story, our guest is going to reveal to us what it is that allows him to free up enough resources to be able to blast down an ungroomed 55-degree extreme mountain face in 3,000 meters altitude, reaching 100 kilometers an hour, dropping cliffs 10 times his own height on the way down. Not to forget, of course, staying on his feet pretty much every single time he sits out to do this. Uh, that is, in essence, what competitive freeride skiing champion Ryan Barkeret's athlete story is about. Ryan Barkeret is the winner of the Freeride World Tour in 2012, and he's stayed top of the field for 10 years straight. In a sport where staying consistent for that long is pretty unheard of. This fact has, by the way, earned him the nickname of Mayor of Stomp Town. <laughs> for this exact record, he stomps his runs every single time. So. Listen in if you want some solid advice on how to find flow in whichever extreme terrain it is that you're playing around in. Laini, thank you so much for accepting my invitation to be on Athlete Story. Of course. Happy to be here. How has your season been? It's been fun. It's fun to see the winters are back as they were when you were a kid. It's how I remember the winters as a kid. It's been great skiing all over the Alps and in Sweden. My own skiing has been a little difficult. I had an injury last April that I haven't managed to get back 100% from. But it's been okay. I was wondering if you could take us back to the start of it all. How did, how did you get into skiing? And especially, how did you get into freeride skiing? I grew up in the wake of the Ingmar Stenmark, the big uh, race skier from Sweden. So, of course, all the parents wanted a new Stenmark in the family. So uh, I grew up racing. And I raced for a while uh, until I was 17 or so. So didn't do any big races. I did uh, one or two FAS races and that, that was it. I was pretty tired of skiing, went to school. A couple of years and when i came back you know i just kept skiing a little bit not so much of pisto but eventually some friends convinced me to start doing that and how i really got into free riding i would say is when some friends tricked me to go to the swedish and scandinavian big mountain championships just for fun uh, everyone was going there like all the x-racers and other friends just to to meet everyone again and have like a season ender so i, I went there not really knowing what was going on and then it went okay and I kept doing it and it went better and better and I've uh, been stuck in it pretty much ever since. Then did you start to compete internationally? Yeah, so I did a few years just here in, in Sweden and I did uh, a lot of the competitions in the Alps in 2007, just skiing in the Alps and oh, there's a competition and I did it and it went okay. But it wasn't until, yeah, 2008 where I really like, okay, I'm going to do a full season just competing. I did the Norwegian Freeride Cup, ended up winning that. And this was the first year the Freeride World Tour existed. So I guess I did the first qualifiers there, but you know, with no intentions really, no one really knew what the tour was yet. Mm -hmm. But I decided to do it and ended up taking the very last spot to, to qualify for the Freeride World Tour. And I mean, once I had done that, it was like, all right, I guess this is what I'm doing now. But 
it was so much fun. So I'm, I was super happy to do it. And um, I talked to my friend, Henrik Winstedt, here from town. He won it the first year in 2008. So, you know, I had a little bit tips from him on what it was going to be about. Yes, because it's not a sport where you have like a team and a coach and a whole big structure around. You're pretty much on your own. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're, you're on your own and uh, yeah, it's you and your friends and you kind of have to learn the ropes as you go. Nowadays, it seems to be a little more on the coach side, but for sure, when I started, there wasn't any. Can you tell uh, the people watching this who don't know much about free ride, like how does it work from the day you get to the contest? Yeah, so we get there usually one or two days before or three days before. Um, we get to know which mountain we're going to ski. So all the athletes goes up there and we only get to watch it from the bottom or the opposite side with binoculars. So people do that and try to find out where they want to ski, uh, take some pictures for memorizing and basically build your line from there. Then uh, come competition day the next day, we usually walk up to the top and then you have to switch the image you have of where you want to ski in your head and try to ski that as good as you can. And to say it easy, it's about who has the most wow factor on the line wins. There's no boundaries. There's nothing. You can go wherever you want and do whatever you want. It's just a start and a finish. In between there, you, you just try to impress the judges with keep fluid, keep in control, uh, pick a good line that it's preferably hard to ski, jump in cliffs and maybe do a trick or two. And all of this combines to a score. And stand on your feet. And stand on my feet. You're known for that. No crushing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's important on a, on a tour for sure. But you're pretty consistent because you've been on the tour for this many years. I don't think you've been ever off the tour to back and qualify, huh? No, no, 10 years straight now. So, and I managed to stay on, so I'm happy about that. When you say extreme skiing or free ride skiing, what comes to mind for most people is a whole lot of risk taking. Risk is a big part of it, but experience is another huge part, I'd say. You, you spend a lot of time preparing before actually skiing the line, and you don't ski that much, actually. No, exactly. We just sit there and watching our pictures and in binoculars, maybe take a warm up run, but. Uh, you're basically trying to memorize your plan A, hopefully plan B and plan C and also variations of those plans if something doesn't look the way you pictured because you can only get so much information looking at something in binoculars. And that's where experience also comes in that you you know what to look for and you know how stuff usually looks. And most of the time the mountain has been skied before so you can even use old footage from from previous years to see what works and doesn't so so it's not like you go up there and you just hope for the best you have a pretty good plan and you a pretty good vision of the whole thing oh definitely hopefully you have done your homework so you could uh, draw a map of that mountain in the blind i don't think i've ever been in a contest where i didn't know where i was or which cliff i'm jumping i've always been very certain that this is where i'm going and uh, this is where i need to be but how do you train to have that vision? That's a tough one because when I'm free riding, even if I've competed like this for many years, I, I stop a lot. I stop and look and, and whatever. They, these lines and combine everything in ski with, with speed and flow. It's hard to do that outside of competition because you have to put in so much work to it to memorize everything that when you're out free riding off is more for fun. You don't want to spend that time looking at a mountain to go the next lap and do it. You kind of just want to ski. And that's what I love about competitions. One of those few times where you take that time and you really do it. So yeah, there's no no guessing games. At this level, people are really aware and really prepared on what they're doing. Even if it might look unplanned and random and crazy, it's it's a lot of work that has gone in behind it. The days of, of planning. Verbier is every year and it's every year the same mountain. You come back there... 
do you already know before you get there, okay, I really want to do this whatever part of the mountain? And you just hope that the conditions are so that you can do it? Yeah, pretty much. I try to plan it before where I want to ski, but of course, keep a lot of options open depending on the conditions. It has always worked before. Uh, you just adapt to the conditions. This year, it didn't work because it went kind of the wrong way. I've set my, my sight on what I, I believe is the hardest line on the mountain. Uh, didn't ski it as good as I should. The problem was I was so focused on it that I forgot to take into account that it was a lot of snow and actually the the cliffs and stuff was not as big as they usually are, which made that line not as cool as it should have been. But I was so locked into it. So that was a mistake. So what you're saying is that you stayed too locked in on your plan A. You didn't even consider the B. Yeah. And uh, the B might not have been good enough either. But yeah, plan B could have been better. And uh, I should have taken it because we got really bad light too on the competition. And I had said before, okay, if it's bad light, go to plan B. But at the top, I was like, no, I want to ski plan A. Because I wanted to ski it. It was a mistake. But How do you judge what is too much risk taking and what is just enough? Well, yeah, that's a hard one. Uh, for me, it's about calculated risk. I know what I can do on skis and usually stick within that limit. Sometimes on competitions, I go a few percent over that, which is probably still within my limit, but maybe outside my comfort zone. I find it more scary when it's risk that I can calculate. Mm-hmm. when it's maybe in someone else's hand, like sitting on the back seat of a motorcycle or mm-hmm. something like that. That type of risk for me is, is is really scary. Or it could be the same as skiing the groomers on a, on a busy day with a lot of people around me. That that's I feel more unsafe there than I do in the off-piste when I have only me to consider. The most trauma I've experienced has been just standing around in a groomer and get people run into me. That's the only time I really needed a helmet and a back protector. I kind of look at the risk that way that you're never safe anywhere <laughs> i suppose the big risk that i that i do really worry about and respect the most is uh, the risk of avalanches mm-hmm. which is the big one and it goes back to that little factor of unknown that is not just up to you yeah you can do everything right in avalanche terrain and it still happens uh, of course you do everything to minimize it and uh, if you do it good you, you should be okay but there's still that unknown factor for sure that scares me a bit. I guess you have friends who have who have died in avalanches, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, not anyone from crashing, really. Uh, so yeah, that that's the big big danger. And you still feel it's worth it? Yeah, I think it's worth it. It's kind of like, what else am I gonna do? You know, <laughs> no, it's not that, but it's it's worth it. You always have that in your head that people do. You know, it's not gonna happen to me. But uh, I I definitely am more cautious now than when I was twenty three. You know, then I was immortal and could do whatever. Now I I think more about things and I take the risk when I feel like the risk reward scale is is balanced. If it's too much risk, and then I just simply don't do that. Whatever it is, I'm supposed to do. And I know the reward is is not always financial. The reward is more like a, f- a physical sensation. Often, is skiing a business for you, or do you have to work to finance your sports career? Skiing is my profession now since maybe 2010, so it's been going pretty well. And um, yeah, really thankful for that. Do you run yourself as a business, like a personal brand? And yeah, more or less. I have my own company, which is me and my skiing, and uh, trying to build on that brand. And some people are better at this part than I am, but I'm, I'm just a skier and. Not a YouTuber or (laughs) 
anything like that and I'll see how far it takes me. What would you advise a young skier to do to, to finance a career? Yeah, that one is tough now because it's ever-changing. What my mentors told me in the beginning was that it's more about who you know and timing than anything. Of course, the base has to be that you have to be a pretty good skier and have a value that people look up to what you do and want to watch what you do. So, so that's the baseline. But if we go apart from that, I think the advice would be to try to promote yourself broadly over multiple platforms. In the old days, you could be just a ski movie athlete or uh, just a competition athlete. Now you have to go a little bit wider than that. Work on the social media, maybe do edits as well as competitions. So it's more required these days. But you shouldn't think about that in the beginning. You should just ski Otherwise, you're not going to be good if you don't go in with the motivation that you want to ski, you want to have fun, you want to be the best skiers you can be. That's what you need to start with and not worry about getting sponsors and stuff immediately. I mean, I have some very successful skier friends that said to hell with sponsors. I'm going to have a good job. They work in the summers and then they go ski all winter and don't care about any of that stuff. Why you want to be a sponsor skiers is because you want to ski, not because it's cool to be sponsored. I guess the Freeride World Tour is a bit particular compared to many other sports because it's like a private tour and it's it's commercial. So um, there is this balance between the competition and between the show. What do you consider when you, when you pick your line? Mm, that's a good question. I think I'm trying to balance balance everything uh what i want to ski first and foremost and then maybe throw something in for the judges and uh, when you throw something in for the judges it's the same as as for the show too you know but baseline is uh, where i want to ski i'm trying to find what oh that's the hardest place i can ski really well then uh, that's not necessarily always the crowd pleaser because some of it is just tight technical skiing or or high speed that you have to shut down speed which is difficult but it's not like throwing a huge backflip of a 20 meter cliff because that goes like whoa immediately you know but it still takes a lot to do it and you said well what else would you do in life do you not have any ideas what you want to do once you retire uh, you know, I've, I've always been thinking about it a little bit. I mean, I want to run my uh, own business. Of course, I, I want to be, be my own boss. That's very important. And time to do what makes you happy is always going to be a priority. So I'm basically trying to figure out my life around that. But as a lot of ex-athletes, you go and work with the brands you skied for previously. That's one option. Or you set up your own brand, is what some people are doing. And uh, uh, I always enjoyed spending time with people. So maybe guiding could be something that, that would be cool for me or set up camps and stuff like that. But in all honesty, I haven't really figured out what I want to do yet. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because I want to do exactly what I'm doing for at least a few more years. Five, maybe and uh, you never know what opportunity will present itself or what life situation would would change that even if you have the most solid plan in the world that little thing that shows up or something happens could just flip that for to not work or it's not the best solution anymore so trying to stay flexible i guess while still having a lot of the ideas in the back of my head you t must be traveling like 200 days a year or something like that do you ever get sick of traveling oh yeah that's the thing i'm sick of traveling the day i leave my house <laughs> <laughs> i hate traveling I mean, I love it when you're in the location you want to be in and uh, it's good snow or whatever. It's, it's amazing. But getting there, airport, 
hauling gear just uproot from from your place for that long it's it's tough and it's what definitely what drains the most energy uh, in a season every time i hear friends or whatever or, or people like oh so nice to travel and stay at a hotel i'm like Whoa. no it's not nice home is nice just so you know <laughs> it's easy and it's, it's what you know but it's a luxury problem i shouldn't complain too much but the imprint too is the environmental part of it is like oh Doing a lot of flights here, you know, it's not good for the environment and, and such. So you feel a little bit bad too. Is that something that you have at, at heart, the environment? Yeah, of course. I think about it and I try my best to minimize it, but try not to be hypocritical either because I, I do fly and I, I have to do these things. Uh, so that part is a little little tougher to handle. But I, I like to think that I do my best in other ways. So green energy to my house and I recycle and I take the bike when I can and you know, the little things. What has been like the hardest moment for you in, in all of this? Uh, the loss of friends. I've lost a few now over the years. And it's always surprising how it affects you that even if it's not a super close friend and stuff it can affect you so hard sometimes. And combined, all of that definitely builds up to, to, to make it harder. It just weighs you down all over time. Mm-hmm. The hardest like single part, I guess, like there was more more direct it was definitely the injury i had in april small injury uh, really but takes takes forever to to you know to heal properly this was april 2017 yeah exactly last year my first injury 35 years i managed then i got injured i just broke a bone in my foot uh snowboarder's fracture is what it's called being a skier that was a tough tough pill to swallow but uh, you know it's it's not a huge fracture but it of course is a lot of stretched and torn ligaments and stuff and your foot gets weak and then i cramp it down in a ski boot for a full season which doesn't really help with the rehab but i could ski and it i mean it's a thousand times better now than it was in the beginning of the season so it's getting there did it affect you like mentally like the way you ski and mm, I will I, I think so I didn't notice it as much in the beginning of the season because we skied such deep snow everywhere so you know then it doesn't matter so much but I noticed as soon as we got to the little bit harder stuff a little more uneven which has been kind of my strong point that I've been able to just say hey whatever and then just mm-hmm. charge through it that has been tough because I'm subconsciously trying to protect the foot the whole time which means I, I lose my balance a little bit trying to go through that stuff and ski a bit more passively even though if i really try to move forward and it's not necessarily so much pain it's just you're afraid that it's going to happen again and it's just weird in skiing how when you try to protect yourself it's the opposite that happens you make it worse yeah that's true every time when i do some rehab now in the summer and the foot feels 100 i'm i'm hoping that the head will follow and and get that confidence back yeah think you want to share any experience well if if people out there want to go off skiing even if it's just with your mates and sunday afternoon i've been in an avalanche and it's uh, by far the most terrifying thing that could happen to you this this year panic and powerlessness it's it's overwhelming so think about that when you're thinking about rolling the dice get training get the gear know how to use it people underestimate that danger it doesn't happen often but when it happens it's catastrophic thank you for that reminder so what's what's your plan from here is the season over for you or no i'm I, right now i'm home in Owada, uh skiing and having found food friends which is the best place to be but i'm soon going back to chamonix uh, with dinostar to climb up and ski the mont blanc which I'm really looking forward to because it's 
a little bit outside of what I normally do. So I'm really happy that the guys invited me for that opportunity. It's, it's going to be amazing. Free running takes you a little bit everywhere and you get, like, I definitely got to see and do so much more than I thought I would do in a lifetime because, because of free riding. Thank you, Heine. Do you have anybody that you would like to see on the show? We're doing all different kinds of sports, all different kinds of athletes. Uh, I'll think about it and I'll let you know. There's a lot of people I want to see. Ingmar Stenmark. Ingmar Stenmark, yes. Right. Get him. Okay, you take care. All my best to you and to Jackie. Good seeing you. Take care. If you have any fellow athletes or people who you think could benefit from listening to this, of course, I'd be very grateful if you'd share this podcast with them. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Athlete Story. You are awesome. If you are yourself a world-class athlete or former, don't hesitate to come over on athletestory.com and check out more free stuff and resources to help you thrive in and benefit from your sports career. Dare to prepare. Then get yourself out there. Stay in touch.